0: your front door, your sanity. Welcome to the Success Story Podcast. I'm your host, Scott Clary. On this podcast, I have candid interviews with execs, celebrities, politicians, and other notable figures, all who have achieved success through both wins and losses to learn more about their life, their ideas, and their insights. I sit down with leaders and mentors and unpack their story to help pass those lessons on to others through both experiences and tactical strategy for business professionals entrepreneurs and everyone in between without further ado another episode of the success story podcast all right thanks again for joining me today i am sitting down with alex amantio who is the ceo of reflector entertainment now reflector is a transmedia company with an exciting new ip unknown 9 which was previously teased out at new york's comic-con and is now set to launch this fall uh, with the announcement of a new AAA game. Uh, CEO and creator Alex previously was a creative director behind the hit Assassin, Assassin's Creed franchise and is set to revolutionize the way the fans and audiences experience storytelling with this out-of-the-box, technically innovative approach to their new IP. Their content is built on multiple platforms simultaneously to build out story worlds. I'm going to understand a little bit more about what that is um, and allowing the company to tell richer, deeper stories that connect with fans everywhere through television, mobile, uh, game, console, novels, comics, digital content, etc. Um, and all these pieces support each other. So this is what Alex is working on now. He has an incredible career uh, before he started working um, with, obviously, CEO of Reflector and with Unknown. So Alex, I really, really appreciate you coming on. I'm really excited to understand your story because everything you're doing is so impressive, but I don't come from the world of creative. So I want to understand a little bit more about your career and how you got into what you're doing now.
1: Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah. I mean, I think like the the cool thing about uh, careers in the creative world is that um, the paths are very different and uh, it's almost uh, the kind of um, the kind of like everybody that I know has a different journey. It's like almost like every single journey is completely unplottable until you've done it. Right. And then in hindsight you look at it, Oh my God, it all makes sense. But when you're doing it, it just seems like eh, the right decision, at the right time. So <clears throat> my career, I actually started, um, in school, I was, I was, I was going to study science. I was, uh, I was always going to be a, a science person. I love physics. And art was something that was just part of my life. Ever since I was a kid, I I, I drew, I, I, you know, I sang in a band, I played instruments. So I always figured that was going to be sort of my, my hobby. Um, but then, um, you know, at one point, I, I see this movie Jurassic Park, and um, I I saw them do things that like bring back to life things that had been dead for millions of years in a way that I mean, it, it, complete um, uh, realism, and I foresaw in that uh, where we were heading with entertainment, with games, and with film. And like we could build worlds, the worlds that we could only imagine, like a, even a few years back, now we could we could start building them. So I I, I did a complete 180. I I, I quit school. I, I um, the only way I could learn to do 3D was there was these private schools that uh, that uh, we had two in Montreal. I think back then you could do it through the normal school program. So I I, I enrolled in that. I did a, like an eight month crash course in 3D. And then started working, um, there was like today, the video game industry in Montreal is huge, but back then there was maybe only Ubisoft. And so I didn't get picked for, as the initial uh, um, like wave of employees. So I, I worked for about like almost four years in visual simulation. I did simulators for um, like ship simulators and and uh, aircraft, helicopter simulators, learned all about um, how to do a lot with very little. And then at one point I, I got... Um, I got a, a, um, an entry, like a, essentially an opportunity to go into a video game company. It was this small video game studio in Montreal that was French owned. And uh, I worked there for about four years and uh, we did little games that probably nobody ever heard about. Like uh, I did a game called Tennis Master Series. I think it was like the 2003 or four. And then I did a, a game called the uh, Memoric Knight's Apprentice which was a, a platformer. But we were doing the, these things with about a, like from a 10th to a fifth of the budget that other companies were doing them. So we had to, to come up with innovative ways of actually getting it done. So even if the games that we did were, were you know small games that, are, that nobody knows about, this was the best possible school to learn how to, um, to work in the, in the industry because you know if you wanted something done and nobody else was assigned to do it, it's either you do it or it doesn't get done. So it allowed me. Uh, I, I was uh, I was lead artist, but I also play the role of the art director, of the technical art director. So um, uh, at one point, or, uh, on Memoric, the the um, the writer or the the lead designer was also writing. He quit the join Ubisoft, and I ended up writing it. I had done some writing, creative writing in my spare time. So it really allowed me to to test my you know put out my creative feelers and, and to test the limits of what I could do. Um, so after that, the, the company closed down and um, we were, we were uh, bought by Ubisoft. They didn't buy the IP. Uh, they just bought literally the furniture and the employees, <laughs> literally. So uh, I found myself from, from this small company where we, we were, I guess, 80 people working on two or three games sometimes, super small teams, to a huge company where I think we had about, like that number just in my game. And my game was Spark Ride 2 um i remember so, far
0: cry was like, <laughs> that was a that those are these are start starting to become bigger names i guess second you move over to ubisoft because that's a that was a huge game
1: yeah and and i mean the first one had come out it was uh it was this uh relatively obscure game made by a german studio called uh, uh crytek and ubisoft bought the game engine and bought the ip with it and our first mandate was how do you turn this into an ip that will you know like be more successful and bigger. So it was the first one was all about like mutant monsters in an island tropical island. So we dropped those and we 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 made it about, you know, um, you know, human against nature. Like, uh, you know, the wrong place, the 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 the, the, the a guy that's at the wrong place the wrong time, but it's the right person to be in, in that mm-hmm. wrong place. So, so it was all about a fish out of water and we we envisioned this IP being always with a different protagonist, but all, the, the one thing that was common to everything was the fact that you had this character it was dropped into from their their perspective was an alien world, and they had to use their wits to survive against these bad guys. And uh, <clears throat> um, the the executive producer back then gave me a, a challenge. He said, "Look, I want this game." He showed me what Crisis was wor- now working on, and he shows me that this game that would become a game called uh, Crisis. Uh, the company Crytek did it, and um, he shows me this game and goes, "I want Far Cry Two to look as good as that." And I looked at the screen. I'm like, "But." that's running on a $5,000, $6,000 computer. And, you know, we have to run on ex- a $300 Xbox. So, but I, I guess because I was young and a little naive, I accepted the challenge. And uh, I spent the next three years trying to figure out how, how do you reinvent the way that you create art assets for, for video game in a way that you essentially circumvent the flaws of consoles, which back then were memory. You know, you didn't have enough memory you know, like these, these big computers had these amazing graphic cards with, you know, a lot of RAM, whereas you were limited in an Xbox or PlayStation. So what the advantage we had in the consoles is that we had a lot of processing power. So I envisioned this way of creating, rather than using high resolution pictures to, to sort of create the surfaces for the game, which is the traditional way of doing it, I instead try to figure out how do we simulate surfaces? So by using things like uh, fractals and like uh, like small tileable textures, that you that you stack and then blend between one and the other, and trying to reproduce actual surfaces rather than trying to map them with big pictures. And uh, the added benefit to this was that it made assets be a lot more flexible. We could we could um, essentially have them accumulate dirt over time. We could have them rust. Uh, so they felt more alive. We could burn them and, and have them actually, literally turn to ash. So it made for a game that not only I think looked great at the time, but also that was the probably the most dynamic and immersive open world that had ever done, been done back then. You could you could you know burn it like fire propagation through wind, and uh, you know the vegetation was all dynamic. You could literally uh, shoot branches, and if you stayed there long enough watching, you would see the branch grow back. Hmm. Uh, so everything was procedural. Everything was so. So I was uh, I, I felt very proud of of that, especially because the, for the first two and a half years, people thought it was nuts. Um, you know, because before all the tech was ready and everything was ready, it didn't look very good. But I was like, no, trust me, it'll work. This is going to work. And and luckily, I guess again, I, I guess I, I was lucky. It, it worked out, and it, it turned out really great. Uh, it bought me a lot of uh, capital within the company. Uh, so what I said is, well, as art director, and because after after the game, like uh, Autodesk had me, which they're, they're the makers of the three D software that we used, they had me tour the world. I, they uh, they invited me to Japan. I did conferences on this new uh, like technique for creating assets. So after having done that, I I figured, well, you know, it, it, there's very like I, I couldn't see how I could sort of top that at least in the short term as an mm-hmm. art director. So I I I asked Ubisoft, well. I'd like, to, I'd like to, to, to evolve towards creative direction. And uh, they said, but, you know, like, we really like you as an art director. You just did Far Cry 2. I'm like, yeah, I understand. But, you know, I think I, I have something to bring uh, in terms of creative direction. So they said, okay, look, we're, and, and this, this is, I, I really appreciated this, uh, the, the fact that they actually went for this. But they said, look, we'll give you a room. They converted a, a, a big meeting room into a, sort of a private little uh, lab. And they, they gave me two designers, um, uh, some programmers, and they said, you know what, um, pitch us a game. Come up with something and, and we'll see what you can do as, uh, as creative director. And I said, okay. So they gave me three months. Um, I came back with uh, five pitches. Um, and uh, I think we had three prototypes. Um, one was actually AR, and augmented reality assassin's Creed that you could play on the table. Um, one was, I think, a platformer. The other one was a pirate game uh and uh, anyways there was a a bunch of different concepts and i pitched them to the various executive producers at ubisoft and one i think saw potential in me, and he said look the five games that you just pitched i think we should make all five of them but i mean it's just not going to happen because we 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 can't start those many new ips and says i certainly don't have the power to start a new ip in this company you'd have to get a, a green light from like very top that being said I think you could bring something to this, to, to my, my brand that I manage, which is sort of nascent. Uh, they had done a couple of games, which was Assassin's Creed. And he said, look, I want you to do the biggest, most ambitious one that we've ever uh, done. Um, and, uh, I I it to sort of like break new ground. I want it to be, um, the next generation. Uh, but before we do that, um, we sort of have a little problem, like, okay, I'm listening. And he goes, well, um, we sort of uh, we're working on AC3, but we sort of need to, to 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 release an Assassin's Creed game this year. And I went like, "What do you what do you mean this year? Like 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 eleven months from now?" And he goes, "Yeah." And we don't really have a team because the the team that's made the previous ones they're 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 burnt out. They're 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 much much needed rest. So we're gonna have to create a new team. And uh, you'd be the creative director, and then we get a producer. Who, uh, who hasn't shipped an Assassin's Creed game yet either. And uh, maybe you guys meet, if you guys get along well, you know, we can, we can get this started.
0: And they, again, they keep giving you all the easy jobs, eh? <laughs> well, probably because, again, cause I,
1: probably because I was young and very naive. I said, ah, sure, like challenge accepted. I, I, I like hard missions. And so we, we essentially, um, we formed the team and um, we, from beginning to end, we shipped uh, Assassin's Creed Revelations in 10 months. Hmm. which is uh, the record for, I think, I think for, for, for uh, a full-size Assassin's Creed game. And we ended up, um, it went so smoothly. I think that um, the stars must have been aligned because the team that we put together was, um, I think, one of the best teams that I've certainly ever worked with m- my entire career. Um, so we shipped that. And then uh, the executive producer said, well, you, you know that pirate game that you pitched? That was a pretty cool idea. You think we can... Sort of make an Assassin's Creed game with that. I'm like, yeah, for sure. So I, I essentially started uh, the conception of Assassin's Creed Black Flag, which was then called Golden Age, and I got it greenlit um, by t- uh, upper management. And then afterwards, I went on to um, the big one that I was supposed to do originally, which they had sort of started, but it was a little bit lacking direction. It was lacking a creative director. So uh, my, my, my. Revelations team continued on Black Flag and I went on to pick up uh, Unity to, to, to ship that game because that was sort of the, the big priority for the company. It was a big, big investment. It was their next generation Assassin's Creed. So um, um, it was probably, uh, well, certainly back then it was the most ambitious. It was huge. We, we reconstructed Paris in its full splendor, but Paris as it was before it was re, uh, redone by Napoleon III and, and uh, an architect called Haussmann. Um, So we did the medieval Paris that you can't see today, Um, unless you go um, uh, uh, to the center island, Ile de la Cité, you you still can see that old Paris, but that's pretty much it. The rest of Paris was beautified and with those big buildings that you now know. Um, So, um, and we ended up breaking a lot of ground, like first uh, sort of co-op Assassin's Creed game, first uh, full-sized city where you could go into interiors as well. Before you needed loading, you couldn't sort of go into houses because they were actually too small. They weren't a scale. They were about a third too small. And we were able to actually have crowds of up to 10,000 NPCs on screen, which was probably still is, I think, the record in the game um, for a fully realized crowd. So we we ended up breaking a lot of technical ground on that game. It was very, very uh, ambitious production. And then... um, As I was working, like throughout my my career as creative director, I I really started seeing the, and this started with Revelations, I started seeing that what we were working on, what we were building, it was more than video games. I think that we we were stuck in the medium, but in reality, we were building a modern mythology. We were building um, these, a, a mirror to society, we were building these new characters and these new factions that sort of represented currents that were that humanity was sort of going through, which I think is, is probably what entertainment does best. It, it sort of provides society with a mirror. Yeah. And I felt that we were expanding this story um, across a lot of different media, like comic books. Uh, w- with Revelations, we actually did a pilot for uh, an animated uh, um, show that we actually released the pilot, but we never pursued the show. But we were we were doing spin-offs, novels, and the novels that for the games that I worked on weren't the, the story of the game. It was always a different story that was complementary to the game, expanding the game. It was a standalone, but if you combine both, you could have a different perspective. And I started really realizing that um, that entertainment companies in general were focusing on the medium. And I, I started wondering why are they doing that? Why why is a film studio, you know, a film studio when what the value that they're creating, like let's say Lucasfilm, for example, what they 're creating is a modern mythology it's star Wars, right whether it 's a film or a comic book or a game, it makes no difference the the worth the 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 product that they're creating is the mythology it's not the medium mm-hmm. and uh, um something else came to mind. I realized that this is exactly what a lot of companies the mistake that a lot of companies make like if you look at kodak for example kodak um was the number one reference for everything to do with your memories, right? And in my opinion, when they were at their apex, Kodak was the memory company, it was the memories of your life. But because they were making most of their revenue through film, because they were developing your film, like back then, it's, it's, it's hard to imagine today, but people were literally putting their film in envelopes, shipping them to Kodak, and Kodak would send pictures back through the mail. And like over 80% of their revenue was, was, was from, from film. So when their own R and D department invented the digital chip, the digital camera, they're like, well, this is no use to us because it cuts us out of our main revenue. So they sold it off. Right. And then they ended up killing themselves. But if Kodak, rather than seeing themselves as a film company, they saw themselves as a, an image company or a memory company. They probably today would dominate the world of digital camera of digital like Photoshop would maybe be one of their products right mm-hmm. and and I think that this is the same mistake that sometimes entertainment companies do is rather than viewing themselves as as creators of mythologies they see themselves through the lens of their medium and the medium might not exist 20 years from now but people will always want stories and characters so this is where after unity um, this had sort of grown in my mind and I decided to 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 leave ubisoft and to start something on my own where i would maybe try to found the company that was based on those values on this idea of creating myth so this is where reflector um uh, sort of came about
0: um, i just wanted Re- to actually i wanted to highlight a point that you mentioned that i think that you're probably going to get into but i noticed as i i fully agree with what you're saying about this whole mythology and this whole brand i've noticed that fans actually supplement a lot of those lost opportunities that brands don't take advantage of in some mm-hmm. of those in some of those uh, you know those companies that you mentioned. And it's a shame.
1: Because mm-hmm.
0: you see all that ancillary stuff created after the fact.
1: You're absolutely right. And and the other the other and you you're you're so right because the other the other angle, uh, like creating an IP and doing it like in a transmedia way with a lot of products and telling complimentary stories. Uh, the, the, the fan base, that's the missing piece of the puzzle, because, uh, if you're able to integrate the fan base and make them part of the creation process, make them part of the, of the tissue of the meta tissue of the IP, that I think is when you, you, you've essentially reached that transmedia nirvana, because I mean, look, and this is, I've I've had discussions about this with a lot of people that, um, that really believe in transmedia. Like, um, you know, you might know a guy called Tim Kring, he created Mm -hmm. heroes, right? And, uh, that TV show was one of the first, if not the first TV show to really capitalize on, on social media and, and the modern world. They created a strong community and they created a lot of like uh, uh, ARGs, alternate reality games. They created like, a, a you know, content for the fans, like um, like using the, the, that, the, the digital technology and digital social media of that day and age. Uh, and one thing in conversations that I've had with Tim, it, it was all about, well, he always called it like feeding the zombies. It's, it's, it's almost like as much content as you throw into the world. It's, there's so many, there's a horde of fans that are just gobbling it up and you can't produce it fast enough to feed mm-hmm. th- these, these fans, these rabbit fans. So the, the way to do it is to find a way where um, fan creation becomes you you sort of you sort of uh crowdsource a lot of that that creation and you 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 give the fans a voice so that the fans can also feed themselves and it creates a sort of a um a positive feedback loop between the fans and the team that's actually creating the stuff
0: now that that you took that and you brought that into into reflector that whole that whole ideology so so speak to me about you know you started reflector uh how did you build that out? What was your first steps, and then how did you get to unknown nine and what you're doing now
1: so um so the idea was really that it really initially started with that concept that concept of of transmedia and I knew that to to you know a concept and idea is 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 great but it it only works if you have the right content behind it you know you, you know the, the the concept in itself is is, is worthless if it, it, it doesn't have the right Product or the right world to push behind it. So the first um, couple of years, we we're, were a lot about um, trying to figure out um, what what IP or what new world um, we could create that that was compatible with this concept of transmedia, but that really resonated well with uh, with the, the zeitgeist of the moment. You know, I, mm-hmm. I truly believe that if you're going to create a a world or a universe that sort of um, that lasts in time. It has to resonate with the spirit of the moment, with the zeitgeist of the time. I mean, Star Wars, uh, when 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 Lucas created it, um, it was it, it, it was the perfect timing because it was all about um, you know this rebel, this ragtag band of rebels that were outnumbered by this overpowered military. For him, it was a metaphor on, on the Vietnam War, right, and on and on the rebels uh, that were the, the the Viet Cong, I guess, against mm-hmm. an imperialistic force coming, but. It also was extremely positive in a world where, in a time where I think the the U.S. especially needed a, a positive story. It wasn't about dark and depressing, there was hope. So I think that even if people don't know what's behind the inception of it, that energy and that force, no pun intended there,
0: sorry, <laughs> just just... Uh, <laughs> no, that's fine. Star Wars puns are always allowed. <laughs> But it, it sort of seeps through, and I, and I think that
1: fans um, like we, we capture that like a, like a like an antenna, like a, you know a signal to an antenna. So the first part was like, what, what what's the world of today? You know, what 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 is what are the big questions that are essentially uh, fundamentally um, at the forefront of the human experience and. I started upon this site. One thing that came to mind is that we are we are evolving so fast as a species. Uh, we're, we're getting to a point where we our transformation as a as a as a species is accelerating to um um vertiginous speeds. Um and we are essentially becoming gods. Uh, In most every sense of the word in in the sense that we can we can we're cracking the the basic building blocks of the universe and every every week I'd read articles about a new way that we could annihilate ourselves as a species I read this article on on on, uh, on the news like a few years ago that were we're, they were thinking of creating these like miniature black holes to uh, to uh, power cities. And I'm like, oh, that's great. The miniature black <laughs> hole on the surface of the earth. Like what could possibly go wrong? <laughs> so, 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 you know, the other ones were like, oh, we're, we're going to invent this retrovirus that uh, allows us to essentially add any genetic material to it, uh, like to, a cure for something so that we infect people with the cure. And that, yeah, like, then it mutates <laughs> and yeah. then we have a zombie blade or something or something. So like, what, again, what can possibly go wrong with that? So. I felt that um, we had attained the knowledge of of gods but our our capacity to wield that knowledge or collective wisdom was actually dwindling we went from mm-hmm. a society that used to venerate wisdom to a society that venerated knowledge and now we we live in a society that venerates data but data is knowledge that hasn't been analyzed and knowledge is 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 wisdom that has been acquired through books not through experience so i felt that we're, we're at a, a crux um, in, in our evolution and we either transcend our, our, our inherent flaws as species and transcend to that next level, or we, we really risk annihilating ourselves as a species. And that's where unknown nine came from. That concept, the, 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 and like, like Lucas with Star Wars and the Vietnam War, people might never know this if, if nobody tells them, but it, the spirit of it is encoded in the DNA of the the world and so hopefully this is what people um will, will seize on and and it, it'll it'll create a world and characters that are very relevant to to the realities of today
0: i love i love that you the thought that went into this and i think it's 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 highly relevant and i and even just your point about the the fact that we re, that we've sort of degraded um how we make decisions as a, as a society i would even argue that um, many of our decisions are no longer even database. I think that we've taken a step back from that. Um, but um, that's, not the point of this. that's not the point of this podcast, um, I, I think. <laughs> um, so as you build out Unknown Nine, where are you at in its creation now? Just to sort of tee it up for everyone. Because I saw the trailer. And the trailer really just walks through. Um, it's, a, it's a beautiful trailer. It, doors open. It shows a plum tree. It speaks about, I guess, a, a god like leaving um, a portal open. And that's just like the teaser to queue up the story. And I didn't know where, where you were in the actual development or the release. Um, so where are you at right now?
1: So um, we're working hard on, on what we call the, our first story cycle. And okay. a story cycle is something that we, uh, we came up with, but it, it's the equivalent, think of it, it is to transmedia what a season is to a television show. Okay. So you, you have to wrap it up into um, digestible
0: to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash Clary. Just go to Indeed.com slash Clary right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash Clary. Terms and conditions apply. If you need to hire, you need Indeed.
1: And know where to start the next cycle. So if it's just like a, a, a big sprawl, then it, it's uh it might be scary or, or or difficult to 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 the uninitiated but if you break it up into narrative cycles so uh we're working on our first story cycle our first story cycle is uh three novels uh we've published the first one we we've we've kept it pretty hush-hush because i'll, I'll get into that later about our announcement that we because of covid we sort of had to to, to, to cancel it but the first novel is out uh we've the, the second one is finished it's uh it's i think it's it's finalizing um, the editor this week or next week. The third one is already outlined. Um, we are working on a a comic series, a comic book series of 12 issues, which is about the size of Watchmen. If you want a comparison, um, we're working on a podcast. It's three seasons. The first one is completely recorded. We're finalizing the writing on season two, season three is outlined and we're going to start recording season two pretty soon. Uh, COVID again, as soon as it, it, it dies out Mm -hmm. a little bit. Um, we're working on this uh, ambitious digital platform uh, where you can consume all these products. You don't need to consume them on the platform. You can buy the book on Amazon or whatever, but it's it's a one place where you can actually uh, delve into the world and the platform itself is an interactive experience. So you can be part, remember we talked about like the fan base being part of it. This is it. Like you're part of the world. You're, you're part of the, you're a character in the world and you can actually delve into it and explore, find secrets, like follow us down the rabbit hole. Uh, there, there's, it's, it's a very ambitious, uh, initiative. Um, and, um, uh, we're also working on a triple A AAA video game and we're also developing uh, a film. Um, and, uh, we have loads of digital, um, series that also are embedded in our, our platform, um, that, uh, that you can consume on the platform.
0: And I guess I a, a question about like how you built out this narrative and how you went through these sprints, for lack of a better term, um, because I'm, I'm uneducated on this. So as you go through the different sprints, and you release these different products. Is What's the strategy behind getting somebody engaged and involved and in love with this story world? Why the book first? Why not the video game? Why not a movie first?
1: Mm-hmm. Uh, it really depends on the, um, it's a very good question. It really depends on the, um, on, on the story world or even on the, the specific uh, story cycle. So um, th- right now, like the, the way that we were supposed to launch it was not just the novel. It was supposed to be a, a, a lot of stuff in tandem, but then COVID hit. Mm-hmm. Um, so the way we do it is that we don't treat, you don't need to have read the book to enjoy the film or the game or uh, each product is standalone and it's each product is treated like it's an acquisition channel. So we, we create the novel, not like a spinoff of something else. We create the novel as though we were only making a novel it's it's for us it's a priority it's like our principal product and we create the podcast with the same philosophy every product so if somebody just likes books and likes that genre of book they'll find that book really good and the book is actually like rated i think 3 a uh, 4.4.20 something on on goodreads which is very high for goodreads because we treated it like it's this is it. This is not like a, an ancillary that we just write like give to somebody and uh, you know just write something fast so that we can capitalize on whatever our main product is. It's treated like a main product. So um, the way the way that everybody will get into the IP into the world is different. If if you're if you're a novel reader and you read it and you you like it and then you learn that there's a podcast, you might give it a try and then you might get hooked on it and then you might hear about a video game and then that's your own journey my journey might be more i love comic books and uh I, i'm enjoying the comic book and then i might give the, the film a try because hey some of the characters are in the film but if we go watch the film together and i've played the game and read the comic book and you've you know read the book and listened to podcasts you're going to have a different perspective than i do and so when the film is going to start i'm like oh shit i know what this character is and you you're like, you're yeah, like yeah, yeah but, wait, but, but yeah but it's not, it's not so clear cut because that character also did this. And then it gets us into a debate and it, it encourages conversations, uh, talks like forums, like it posts. So that's how you sort of encourage that building of that community by giving people different perspectives and allowing them to connect the dots. But because everybody has a different perspective, they're going to see connections that others aren't. And Mm -hmm. so that again, it encourages all of that, like, hopefully all of that cool chemistry on social media and community building and com- community growth.
0: And, and is this, um, I, I want to understand, um, how you were planning to take this to market in COVID and state of the industry. But before that, I just wanted to understand, is this something that is entirely proprietary? Is there anyone else doing anything like this or is the concept of a story? world purposefully building a story world. Is that innovative in, in this industry?
1: Um, I- It is pretty innovative. And um, a lot of people have toyed around with, uh, with um, transmedia and um, um, you know, like this, this, the concept of transmedia isn't new, Um, but the specific way that reflector is doing it is pretty new. And uh, you know, any company that says that they're doing transmedia uh, often, oftentimes, and I I don't want to generalize, but often Mm -hmm. when you have a conversation after five minutes, you go, aha, and the usually the haha is when they start talking about their temple, right well it really is a tv show but we're creating all this stuff too so um it's okay to have like reflector we have we know what our revenue driver is we know which one is the product that we are hoping to make money out of but or principal money driver but there's a difference between the money driver the revenue driver and uh the philosophy and the deployment and 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 what you're keeping your eye on so most companies the thing is there even if a company has all of these different divisions let's say they have comic books they have games they have films tv shows like all of it but they're all siloed and on top of each silo is somebody that runs that division or that company and that person will find it difficult to swallow if um you know, let's say I, I, I'm I'm the uh, company X and I run the game division, and I'm told, well, your game is a lost leader because the mm-hmm. TV show is going to make a lot of money. I'm going to say, well, why why will I have red on my bottom line so that the person uh, that runs the other division can can reap all the profits? I'm I'm penalized for this, so it 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 becomes difficult to collaborate. Whereas Reflector, um, the business model is on the IP itself; it's on the world, so it's much easier then to have lost leaders because your, your, your ultimate valuation is on the, the world itself that you're building. As long as the world expands, it grows, the fan base grows, as long as you're making money, it's okay to sacrifice certain products as lost leaders because ultimately, even if they're not making any direct money, they're increasing the value of the, of the IP of the world.
0: Yeah, no, that, not- makes, that makes mm-hmm. a ton of sense. Sorry, oh, I, I didn't mean to interrupt.
1: No, no, no. That's what's really different about, like, uh, the specifically about our business model.
0: So, so walk me through uh, how you were going to take it to market. Um, because I, I read an article on South by Southwest mm-hmm. uh, and how you were planning on on creating this, uh, this I guess this uh, this event at South South by Southwest. And I thought that was a great microcosm of how you can you can build out so many different facets to even a launch. So it's like, you know, everything you do seems to be multifaceted and have so many different angles. Um, And then also just, I guess, the state of the industry, you know, what what you are planning on doing that you're allowed to talk about in terms of taking to market because obviously COVID and whatnot.
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah. So uh, I I can tell you how we were going to do it and now how we're sort of like without, again, without revealing too much, but I'll I'll, I'll explain how Mm -hmm. we're we're sort of reacted and and how we've uh, we've we've. reimagined uh, our our, our to market strategy. So originally, um, we were gonna announce uh, Unknown 9 and we were gonna actually release a lot of products at South by Southwest. And uh, about a week before, a little less than a week before uh, it opened, we actually had people on the ground there preparing. Um, It was canceled because of COVID. Now, the way we were gonna do it is that one of the products that I didn't talk about was live events. And I didn't talk about it earlier for obvious reasons, because right now it's very difficult to think about live events when people are still wearing masks and people are still afraid for their, for their lives. So our priority has to be, first and foremost, people's safety. But back then, we really thought, and I still believe, like once, once hopefully COVID is going to be resolved, uh, you know, eventually with, uh, with the vaccine or medication, and I think humans are social animals. It, it would be a shame that we can't go back to uh, the to, to, to actual social gatherings because I think that's part of what our species is about. Um, so we were going to do probably one of the most ambitious uh, live events ever attempted at South by Southwest. So we were, first of all, we were opening, uh, we were the, doing the official opening party for the interactive division of South by Southwest. Uh, and then we were inviting people to uh, this uh, event that was happening in the streets uh, of Austin this huge architectural dig, uh, and people were gonna be part of it, and people were, were gonna show what was discovered under the city. And it was this very, very ambitious, uh, um, very cool uh, event that people could take part in. And uh, and this would lead to our announcement, and we were gonna announce, that we were gonna launch a bunch of products, um, a bunch of the ones that I, I spoke about earlier today. And then, um, and then it was going to be also the launch of our platform, and then the platform would evolve gradually as, fan, as fans sort of joining. We would go to phase one, phase two, phase three, and 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 then as new products were were released, uh, we would we would uh, we would expand that experience in the platform and and, and then the narrative, uh, the ongoing narrative. So obviously we had to rethink everything, and we had mm-hmm. to react very quickly when when you know stuff started happening very very quickly, um, and the team the team and I, we, we, we sort of pulled back and we started thinking about like, okay, like this thing is here to stay for a while, this COVID. Um, so how do we start envisioning um, a, a launch that um, takes into account the new reality that we live in? So we essentially fell back on something that was a lot more digital in nature. So we're still gonna use an event to to amplify our message. We're, we're still gonna use, uh, like even if it is a digital event, but then our launch and our strategy, at least for the moment, is going to be wholly digital and we're going to avoid anything that's live. Uh just again, yeah, for, for of course. Sake. Um but the the good thing about this is that um people are actually never gonna to get to see version one of the platform because we kept working on it um since Saba Southwest and we're when we actually launch the initial version, it's not going to look like what was supposed to be the initial version. It's all already going to look like something much, much more ambitious. So I'm at least excited about that part. I think fans are, you know, it, it's going to be much more of a cool experience to see something that that is already a game changer, rather than having you know the first portion and having see that game changing aspect be integrated later on.
0: So that, that so do you have um, it? Do you have public timelines for as things roll out, or is it still sort of being, you know, in the works under under wraps right now?
1: It's still under wraps, but okay. what, what I tell you is that it, it's uh, it's uh, you know ended this year. Um, yeah, we're, we're gonna we're gonna have um, we're we're gonna have a big announcement.
0: Okay, very cool. No, i I'm, I'm more asking for myself now because the <laughs> more you tell me about this, the more I'm getting excited about it. It's really, really, it's a very, very cool concept. And now, once you understand the thought behind it. Um, I think you like, you know, you appreciate it even more as opposed to just another piece of IP.
1: Yep, yep.
0: Um I, I do have uh, I have like some rapid fire questions that I like to ask just to bring out insights that you've learned over your career. Before mm-hmm. I pivot, um, is there anything that I don't or that I didn't ask that I should have about um, Unknown 9, uh, you know, Reflector, anything you're dealing with right now that uh, you, you just wanted to speak about? Okay. (laughs) So so we did a good job. All right. Good. Good. All right. Um, and I just like to ask some of these questions to tee up your professional experience because you've had uh, such an incredible career. Um, so what, what would be some advice that you would give someone who was looking to go into a career in creative? Um,
1: the one thing I would say is, um, is to always follow your instincts. Uh, because, um, a lot of the decisions that I, that I made in my career might not have been the logical ones at the moment, but they were the ones that my heart was, was, was indicating. Um, and I think that it's funny how, um, when you do that, things seem to line up and, Mm -hmm. and, um, and, and things seem to, to like the opportunities well and also sometimes a road that might seem like a, a riskier one um, might be the one that leads you to something where you never would've like, I, I never thought I would at one point find myself as as creative director of, of a, such a big franchise as Assassin's Creed. Um, and I certainly didn't seek it out. Um, Cause I mean, to, 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 one could certainly try to seek it out, but I, I, how does one get there, right? So it happened completely um, out of the blue Uh, and I, I wouldn't even have imagined that like two years prior, like if somebody had told me you're going to, you're going to leave that franchise at one point, I would be like, yeah, really how? So, so by, I think by following your instincts and, uh, staying true to that, I think that the, the, the world has a way of sort of guiding you around those currents and, and leading you towards, uh, towards, um, like, um, calm
0: waters. Very good. Um, in terms of in terms of what you're curious about or what you're researching or you're excited about in creative and IP creation is what what are you looking into now that's going to be the future of your industry?
1: Mm-hmm. That's a super good question. And it's it, it's um, I mean, it's such a the, it's it's it, it's in such a state of flux right now. The, like the every industry, like mm, the, yeah. the creative industry, especially is in such a. State of flux that it's it's difficult to see even like what mediums are going to be popular like look I'll give you an example um i i I love film and i i I'm a huge film fan I have a huge film library, but I've noticed lately that i I didn't even remember last time i I saw a film because i I'm, I'm always watching series, and now when I watch a film, I have a sense that something's missing that it's almost like uh like I'm so used to the format and this happens so fast but it Simultaneously in such a gradual way that I never realized that my, 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 my perception flipped on a medium that has been something that I've, I've loved for my, my entire life. So that's the speed at which things are shifting right now. So I, I think that w- what I would say, what I would think is, I think the paradigm has to shift from the medium to what the value is that you're bringing the, the universe. And I think that's w- what Reflector is trying to do. And we're, we're, we're doing it one way. But I'm certain that there's, you know, a hundred other ways of doing it that might be as good or better. Um, but I think that the important thing is that I think that people have to, to be open-minded about like questioning the paradigms that we've we've essentially inherited from a very different world. These companies were created in the 20th century, right? These big companies. The world was very different. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the other part of your question, like how do I and where do I get my inspiration? Um, I really believe that creativity. I don't think that creativity is some sort of like weird voodoo that happens. I think that that creativity is um, a direct result of what you pump into your brain. And I think that the more diverse subject matters you insert into your brain, the more original ideas are going to be spewed out by your brain. So uh, I read about science. I love fiction, nonfiction. uh, I'm interested by everything. Uh, I think the world is a fantastic, uh, interesting place full of magic. And um, I think that if people choose to see it that way, they're going to come up with magic and they're going to come up with stuff that is out of the box and it feels fresh. I think that, the, the you know, and this goes back to also your question that you asked me about, like the, the, the advice. I think this is also a really, like yeah. from my perspective anyways, is, is, it's very easy to start seeing the world through pessimistic or negative eyes. But I think that, um, I think that, um, <clears throat> seeing the magic and everything is what brings about change and what brings about like uh, quality. Um, mm-hmm. so as a creative, you always have to remember, uh, to see the world through those eyes, the eyes of a child, you know?
0: Yeah. I like that answer a lot. Um, and that actually tees up I, I'm curious about where you go to learn and sort of stay on top of on top of what's happening. Is, are there specific resources or is it just a diverse you know diverse set um, so when i I've, I've never been
1: one for um, like a, a lot of conferences and stuff like that. It's just like um uh, it, it's not really my personality. Um, yeah. I love reading um, and I think that also. Uh, having an amazing team of people that are smart and that have varying points of view, putting them in a room. If everybody is always respectful, varying points of view. And this is something that, you know, the world today is, is this is, this is slowly dying away, right? People now it's more of a tendency of surrounding yourself with people that think exactly like you. But I think this is a mistake because you, you, you just keep, um, shrinking your circles your perspective more and like an more echo different.
0: chamber of
1: yes yeah. whereas it's okay to have varying opinions as long as nobody's harming anybody but having varying, and it's okay for people that have varying opinions to have that opinion right uh and it, i think it's what makes it's also a check and balance for 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 not only for creatives but for the world in general uh to, to make sure that we never go down a road where everybody's sort of convinced of, of something so so i think that like Allowing that surrounding yourself with smart people of of varying opinions, talented people, that also is, is something that keeps, um, that, that create, creative spark and that originality alive.
0: Is there, is there any, any, uh, books in particular, like actual titles that you, that you, you've read that you really like? Um, there's many, I mean, uh, I know no, uh, uh, <laughs> I see behind you. <laughs> uh, yeah.
1: yeah. Uh, uh, look, uh, Leonardo da Vinci biography. It's, uh, an amazing, uh, bio. Like, and I'm not a, a huge fan of biographies, but some of them are very well. Like, uh, I, I really like Walt, Walter yeah. Um, you know, if you want books on, on, uh, um, um, like, um, on writing, there's many that are cool. I love, like, I'm not a fan of Stephen King, but Stephen King on writing is such an amazing book. I think it's, in my opinion, the best book on writing that I've, certainly that I've ever read. And uh, a lot of people say, well, it doesn't talk about writing, well, but it does. <laughs> it so does. So, um, um, you know, um, Sapiens is an amazing book, uh, that everybody should read. It's about humans, about our journey. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, um, what else is interesting? Uh, I love history. Obviously, it, the Assassin's Creed part of my career sort of uh, gives that up, but uh, yeah. I, I love I love history. Um, like from the ancient world to classic history, medieval to the Renaissance. I think that um, history is. If people read more about history, I think we would avoid a lot more problems because humans are humans. We're the same people that existed two thousand, six thousand years back. Very little has changed except our environment. So. We do make the same mistakes, and uh, you know knowing and reading about history is 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 an amazing way to at least uh, avoid the ones that we 've made in the past and just focus on trying to avoid the ones that uh, that you know we haven 't yet made
0: very good um, and then uh, I, I actually I never asked you if you have a hard stop. I hope not because i 've just been going because there's so much <laughs> there's a lot of stuff coming out of this. Um, I only have a couple more quick questions if you don 't mind um, what's uh what's um, a lesson that you would tell your younger self?
1: Um, Hmm. That's a really good one. Um, I would probably tell myself to, um, you know, like, uh, and, and, uh, uh, I would probably tell myself not to take things, uh, to, 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 to treat life more like a game. In the sense that um, uh, I, I tend to be somebody that uh, that is very very um, emotional, whether uh, uh, whether it's about what I create, mm-hmm. whether it's about like uh, like things, um, and um, I think that this goes with the the the, the creative aspect of myself, right? Uh, you yeah, I think creative people are 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 inherently people that are that are. Connected to their emotions because this is what you're channeling, you know, when you're writing or uh, it's almost like self-hypnosis where you're, 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 your brain is, is sort of uh, just channeling pure thought and emotion. Uh, but I think that uh, when I look to, uh, to somebody like my wife, for example, where she's a, the eternal optimist, she, for her, I mean, life is something that essentially um, that, that you need. It's, it's almost like a river that you follow and you just need to be careful not to hit the sides, but you just go with the flow. And if you're careful to avoid the obstacles, it'll take you to where you need to be. Whereas a lot of times, um, especially younger, you tend to want to fight the current. And, and I think that's a mistake. I think that like channeling that uh, like life energy and like taking things as they come and just being Zen about it, I think is probably something that a lot of creatives um, um, deal with. And it's, it's not only it's something that I would tell my younger self, it's something that I would tell any person that, that is in the creative industry. Um,
0: yeah. No, it's very good. And then um, what, is, what does success mean to you? Um,
1: for me, success is all about um, a quest for excellence. Um, and excellence is not something that you ever get to. It's something that if you're lucky, sometimes you sort of, um, you almost like you, uh, you, 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 you lightly touch right and it's i think it's a it's something that you do your entire life um getting to create something that is excellent um i think it's a li- it's a life quest right and and success for me is sometimes maybe just glancing at it and or, or or just touching it lightly and being able to say that you know i was able to i was able to do that right um um I think that I think that today we we, we we very often get lost in the immediacy of success being like monetary or it being, you know, like um, um, I don't know. Like a, I I think that I think that uh, for me success is is not an, a goal. It's it's a moving it's a moving target. It's, it's lifestyle. a lifestyle.
0: It's like a it's perfect. like a it's like omnipresent. Just like a, yes. like a so you're always because I, I I understand what you're saying. You're saying you know, we get too focused on these tangible milestones. Like, you know, I make this much money or I did this or I got, this. but that's, it's temporary, right? Like you can't have that because then what happens when you hit that and you're on the other side of that, right? That's an issue. If you, if you can, if you envision success that way, I think, I don't want to put words in your mouth. But I think it's what you, you were mentioning.
1: Yeah. And yeah. look, if, if you, if you, um, if your mindset is about that journey, it's about that finding that excellence, especially as a creative, right? Um, then, then you're never done, and and you're happy about having. Oh man, like this this part right here, wow! Like, I'm so proud of that because I, I I sort of like I touched upon that excellence, right? But next time, I'll do better, and maybe it'll be you know. But you know that it's something that you'll never fully attain, but it, it's great because those rewards that you get when you sort of like lightly touch upon that success, that, that excellence are what drives you to the next one.
0: And, and lastly, the most important, where can uh, the listeners connect with you online and find out more? Um,
1: um, so they can go to unknown 9com They can go to reflector.com. Um, they can go to Instagram. They can go to Twitter and uh, I, I'm there. Reflector is there. So.
0: That's all for today. Thanks again for joining me on another episode of the Success Story Podcast. You can download or stream this podcast wherever podcasts are available, including iTunes, Spotify, Google, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, and many others. You can also watch this podcast on YouTube. If you haven't already, please subscribe and share this podcast with your friends, family, coworkers, and peers. Please leave us a rating on iTunes. It takes about 30 seconds as it allows other people to find our podcast and lets our amazing guests reach even more people with their message. And remember, any rating is fine as long as it contains five stars. I'm Scott Clary from the Success Story Podcast, signing off.